I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet... There's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. As we speak, you're telling me we just got another appreciative message <laughs> as we sit here pressing record on this episode that's right i love it thanks sybil that made that that's a nice note to start on yeah it is let's check in hey hey how's it going are you asking me yeah well you, should you, i not i no, guess i already know how you're doing uh, well that's what that was my thought is that like uh i mean i'm doing no. exactly as i have been doing for the last other podcasts have it easy because they get to be like well how you doing man they like, check I'm in good. Right? i'm doing all right i'll fix my bike later earlier this weekend you're like oh nice yeah, and then but, you get a whole thing but, but we you already, already know. know damn well that i didn't fix no bike this weekend. oh i know <laughs> so uh well anyway we wanted to talk about some other feedback that we got yes we also have a corrections corner <laughs> You're such a loser. So in Suleiman the Magnificent and Hiram Sultan, I said something about how holy books don't cover human mundane shit like taxes. And on Twitter, we got a message from uh, our friend at SongFlightGirl. Um, right now, their name is uh, currently embodying gay wrath, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> Great handle. And they said, actually, there are several chapters of the Torah dedicated to taxes. <laughs> so uh, I was wrong about that. And actually, right when I said it, I even thought about how Jesus said, render unto Caesar 
that which is Caesar's or right. whatever. And so I was like, I guess actually there are there are lines about taxes in holy books. So sorry, that was totally just me talking out of my butt. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike the rest of this podcast. Which is me which talking is... out of my mouth. Yeah. Different yeah. hole. <laughs> Same shit. <laughs> Fair. So thank you for that correction at Song Flight Girl. Appreciate that. We always like to be as accurate as possible around here. Yep. So we're going to get into something real accurate today. This amazing story that's largely speculation. I know. Right? <laughs> um, True. About a couple of gay pirates. Yes. Gay pirates. Yes. These guys are Robert Culliford and John Swan. And we know a lot more about Robert than John. Right? Mm-hmm. Robert was out there, much bolder guy. He was dashing, outrageous captain, is the kind of guy I imagine. I picture blonde hair swooped back, uh, you know, the, a puffy pirate shirt that's mostly unbuttoned, uh, and mm-hmm. he puts his hands on his hips and he says, ha ha, a lot. <laughs> that's the kind of guy I picture. That's Robert Culliford. Swan seems Ha-ha. to be more like a loyal sidekick kind of guy. Yeah, many people believe that Robert and John were lovers, but some do not agree. So we will get into all that. Yep. So, ahoy, everyone. I'm Eli Shortbeard the Pirate. I'm Four Eyes Diana. (laughs) If they'll let me keep my glasses, that is. If not, I'm just old two eyes. (laughs) Gather round, mateys, as we tell you a tale of pirate adventure. Of swashbuckling, sword fighting, and sailing the seven seas. A tale of betrayal, boats, and brotherhood. And of course, booty! Come listen well Eli and Diana got some stories to tell There's no matchmaking or romantic tips It's just about ridiculous relationships A lover might be any type of person at all An abstract concept or a concrete wall But if there's a story worth a second glance We'll put it in a show ridiculous romance A production of iHeartRadio Alright, well before we get into pirates I thought it would be helpful If we knew what it was like to live on a ship Arg. Arr, arg me hearties. That's how all pirates spoke at all times. <laughs> That's a fact. If they were from Denmark, if they were from Portugal, they talked the <laughs> <Right>. same. Boston <laughs> pirates, Madagascar <laughs> pirates, they all talked like Just this. like this. Well, they learned it from their parrots, you see. <laughs> My parrots raised me right. Well, arg me hearties, ship life is cramped and gross, basically, if we're going to put it into words. You're on a big, moving, floating storage unit, mm-hmm. more or less. Exactly. And then the last thing they would need to make room for is people. Basically. So good luck. Basically. It was so cramped that the men would sleep in hammocks below decks in shifts because there wasn't enough room for all the hammocks for everyone. Right. So they'd get four hours to sleep and then they'd have to switch with the other guys, Yikes. to go get four hours. And then the farther you get from port, of course, the staler everything got. Mm-hmm. You know, your butter, fuck it, it's turned rancid. Gross. Your beer is turning bitter. <laughs> Biscuits, forget it. They turned into paperweights. Cheese reportedly got so hard that they would carve it into buttons when their buttons broke. <laughs> a little Imagine cheese a button. cheese button. And here's the deal. On merchant ships and naval ships... The captains could pretty much treat you however they want. A lot of times they would keep the crew on starving rations just so they could save money and keep more for themselves. They would cook and eat full meals and they'd guzzle wine. And the sailors could see this. They would be watching it happening, starving to death and smelling these delicious meals being cooked. 
Yeah, they're playing with their cheese button while they're smelling <laughs> like a nice grilled, like fresh meal the uh-huh. captain's eating. So anyway, you could kind of see why mutinies were a thing. Right. <laughs> I would be like, let me stab this bitch so I could get some of this meat. Then if the captains wanted to punish you, they pretty much had no rules. They could do whatever they want short of just killing you, right? So they might torture you, basically. They had a, ugh, they had this guy apparently had to put his thumbs through a wood block, and then they would just drove splinters through them. Ouch. And then he had to carry around the wood like stuck to his thumbs all day, like, ugh. <laughs> or they like dangled a boy over the side of the ship and made him clean out the privy while he's hanging there upside down. Yeah, speaking of the privy, if I may. Yeah, tell us about the privy. If I may. Inquiring minds want to know. It's basically a board balanced over a, a hole in the ship, I guess. And so you had to, like, just kind of squat there and not fall over. On, I mean, on a ro- you know, a ship is fucking moving, right? Yeah. And then also, if you tried to wipe your ass, you would more likely to fall overboard and die. So, so a lot of people part. did not do that part. And the trend of the time was that instead of underwear, you just wore a real long shirt that you tied around your genitals. So, you know, with the not wiping, you're probably getting a lot of shit on your shirt. You don't smell great, okay? And you're sweating. You're not bathing. The smell, (sighs) just unimaginable, I think, to us now. Not to mention scurvy. Which was horrible. It caused your bones to get really soft. This was that comes from a lack of vitamin C. And a lot of times teeth would just fall out of the jaw without pain, as one ship's physician wrote. You could press your thumb into a man's shin bone and literally make like a half inch dent. <sighs> Doctors didn't really know what caused it or how to treat it at the time. So they blamed it on a lack of land air. So can you... Hey, Doctor, I'm, I'm, my teeth are falling out. Oh, well, uh, only one solution I could think of. Probably just a lack of land air. You know, it's land air is very healthy. We all need it from time well, to time. I haven't, I haven't had fruit in over a uh, nope, It's years? the land air. Oh, okay. Take some cocaine, you'll feel all better in the morning. <laughs> so all this to say, living on a ship was really harsh. And being a pirate, even though the punishment was incredibly harsh, it had a mandatory death sentence if you were caught, it was actually preferred to sailing on a naval ship or a merchant ship a lot of the time because it's all the same conditions, but pirate ships were way more democratic. As a sailor on a pirate ship, you got a vote about where the ship went, you got a share of the plunder, and pirates governed by approval of their ship. So they very rarely punished any other pirate for anything unless all the other pirates voted, majority voted, to punish that pirate. So it was very rare that you were ever flogged or had any other shit happen to you that would happen on naval ships. Pirates also dressed really colorfully and wore like striped silks or they would have like funky mismatched shoes, things like that, stuff they'd stolen. Because this was in a time when your economic class pretty much dictated how you were going to dress. And Mm -hmm. it was illegal to wear certain things. Yeah, certain fabrics and colors, you were just not allowed to wear it. So it really dictated somber, ill-fitting clothes for poor people. So pirates, you know, was like, yeah, I'll wear whatever the fuck I want and Mm kind of got to be real fun with it. And yes, pirates were very violent. Let's not color over that. It's very true that they raped a lot of people. They pillaged, they murdered... They were bullies to local men. They raped local women. I mean, they were mean. They were not nice. And often if they took a ship, they would torture anyone aboard 
to find out where all the treasure was. And sometimes it was really just for entertainment. So they would do stuff like the fiddler would strike up a tune and the poor unfortunate would be poked with forks and daggers and forced to dance until they collapsed. Um, so, you know, this is a really fun story, but we don't want to, like, romanticize pirates as yeah. like, great people or something. Because they did yeah. do a lot of fucked up shit. Oh, yeah. Pirates also did not fly a Jolly Roger. Oh. Right? Sorry, that's a myth. Yeah. They would actually fly different countries' colors depending on the ships they were approaching, right? Mm-hmm. To kind of lure them in. Like, yeah. hey, we got a Spanish flag. Spaniards, yes, bring your ship over here. We need a little help. Or we oh, just want to talk. Be we, right let's there. make a trade. You know, and they'd sail over. Oh, hey, it's good to see you guys. And then, boom, they'd run up a blood red flag that meant no mercy unless you surrender immediately. And they'd jump on board, they'd board the ship, and they'd scream, and they'd wave their swords and clang them against their pistols, and then people would just give up, usually without a fight. The pirates didn't like to spill a lot of blood, honestly, especially if they could avoid it, and especially their own blood. In fact, they would get deeply offended if you made them fight sometimes. So it was like way worse for you if you made them fight because they get <laughs> yeah. pissed off about it. They're like, you know what? I'm not scary enough. <laughs> yeah. In notorious famous pirate uh, Bartholomew Roberts once called it a merry life and a short one. And another aspect of life that was really well tolerated out at sea pirate, navy, merchant, whatever ship you were on, was homosexual activity. It was pretty common because, of course, you're on a, in close quarters with only men for months on end. Yeah. It was pretty much like, fine, whatever, just do it. On navy and merchant ships, you kind of had to keep it a little bit of a secret. It was kind of a don't ask, don't tell sort of thing. Right. But pirates actually made a legal same-sex civil contract that you could get into with your pirate friend or lover called metelletage. Sometimes these were totally platonic, like might be older men with young boys. Sometimes that was more like a brotherhood thing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they were sexual in nature and sometimes even romantic. The idea here is that you're a pirate, right? So you have a short life. Married life and a short one. Uh-huh. <laughs> On some pirate ships, it was forbidden to get married. So many of them... You know, just weren't. Mm. So this is a way to make sure that your share of the plunder got passed on to someone that you liked Mm. if you happen to get killed or fall off or whatever happened. Mm -hmm. And pirate captains took metelletage very seriously. And they they were honorable about it. They would make sure that money got to the right people. It's very important. It was entered into willingly and often consecrated with gold rings and a ceremony and everything. So it was very, like, much like a marriage. Do you, neckbeard... (laughs) Take this pirate, one-eyed Jack, to be your, uh, you know, contractually uh, uh, civil arranged mate. Arg, I do. All right, great. Well, then that's we'll make sure he gets your stuff when you die tomorrow. Tomorrow? <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. Uh, I land ho! <laughs> <laughs> In fact, this is funny to me. Pirates were so open about their homosexual activity... That in this pirate stronghold of Tortuga, this island uh, near Haiti, where a lot of pirates like to hang out all the time, they were so out and proud that the French governor of Tortuga got, started to get a little worried about how normalized it was. <laughs> so he was like, this is a little not what is, we were uh, going get, for. <laughs> getting a little too gay around here. Right. He's like, I thought this was going to be a farming community. <laughs> I don't know what's going <laughs> all, on. And the, all that's happening is all these men are just fucking each other all day long. Right in the street. <laughs> Too much fun. We need some work. <laughs> Nobody's doing any work. So in 1645, he wrote to France asking them to send 2,000 prostitutes to the island 
I guess just to give them somewhere different to put their dick. <laughs> He's like, maybe if they have another option, they won't turn to each other. Uh-huh. But it didn't really work. There were some men that gave up their swashbuckling life. They got married. They settled down to farming. And it worked out just like the governor wanted. But most of the pirates actually ended up marrying the prostitutes and then sharing them with their matelotes. So it turned into these polyamorous clusters all over Tortuga. <laughs> and he was like, that's not what I meant. <laughs> so even if they took a wife the matelote would still have access to their matelote's bed. They were still entitled to an inheritance and everything. It didn't change their relationship at all. This is not working. Now even less work is getting done. <laughs> now they have a two places. Everyone is fucking twice as much. <laughs> There's an example of this matelotage. Uh, Barry R. Berg wrote a book called Sodomy and the Pirate Tradition. And he points to proof that these were sometimes romantic situations by talking about Captain Louis Le Golif. And this guy had a matelote named Pulverin. And in 1665, Louis married a woman and lived with Pulverin and his wife. So it was the three of them all together having a fine time. <laughs> One day, he's coming home from a raid. He's got Pulverin with him, the wife is back home, and he sends Pulverin ahead to go tell, tell wifey that I'm coming home, let her know I'll be there soon. Pulverin gets to the house and finds the wife in bed with another man. So he kills her and the man that she's sleeping with. Oh, no. And then he disappears. So Louis shows up and he's like, where's my, my wife is dead. Who's this guy? Where's Pulverin? What the fuck? And he's like all alone now. Aw, poor Louis. So, you Not know. Not really. <laughs> he was mean. <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah, apparently he got another matelote after that. But Barry wrote that he never fully recovered from the loss. His heart remained with Pulverin. So, true romance there. But another more famous example is the story of Robert Culliford and John Swan. And like we did say, a lot more is known about Robert than John. So we're going to tell the story from Robert's perspective. Robert Culliford was born in 1666 in Cornwall, England. He was bred to the sea probably bred to smuggling and piracy because it was this common practice in Cornwall to fake this lighthouse trick that would cause ships to accidentally crash into the rocks and then they would go out and raid it and take everything off the ship. So he takes to the seas probably pretty young. His father went out to sea and he never returned when he was only five. So probably as early as he could earn some money from it, he's gone. He's out ready to make some fortune on the high seas mm -hmm. or just some living on the high seas. So, you know, like... <laughs> I don't think a lot of people thought the fortune was going to find them. When he was only 23, Robert happened to be a part of a crew that included William Kidd. Famous Captain Kidd. They fought for the English against the French, and they did really well. They got a lot of plunder, and Kidd became Captain Kidd for the first time with his own ship, the Blessed William. William sailing the Blessed William. Right. <laughs> you wonder. I'm just, he probably didn't even name it after himself. No, I don't think so. There's only, there's just, there's only four names. Yeah, it's, it's, what is it? It's William, John, Robert, John. Robert, William, James? James, that's about it. That's it. I think that's the four names. Someone comes in and they're like, I'm sorry, your name is D -D 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 Douglas? What is that? I'm going to call you John. <laughs> yeah, John it is. <laughs> but with an H this time. <laughs> so Robert is sailing on Captain Kidd's ship, but then Culliford and a bunch of the crew decided you know what, fuck this. We don't want to just sail for the English taking French ships. We want to sail for our own selves and take every ship. So we're going to be pirates, not patriots. So they stole the Blessed William, commandeered, excuse me, nautical term. Nautical term. term. And 
They stole all the booty on board, and they left Kid high and dry in Antigua in 1689. Rude. The Blessed William went on to sack, rape, burn, pillage many ships and harbors. They built a flotilla, so they had multiple pirate ships kind of flying with them or whatever. A little mini navy. And at 24, Culliford was promoted to captain of the Blessed William, and he became Captain Culliford for the very first time in 1690. But while they were in Boston, two of their pirate ships were stolen by the French. To be fair, they were stolen from the French. Right. The French were just like, I'm going to steal these back. (laughs) Hey, that's mine. Hey. So Robert and his this his friend Mason, they decide to ditch the Blessed William. They got a legit privateering license, which again is where you got like a home team and the allies and you can't fuck with their ships. You can only mess with the yeah. enemy ships. So you'll be a privateer for England. And then like England is allied with the Dutch. So they're like, okay, you can take French and Spanish ships, but, but not, not English or Dutch ships. Right. And they're like, oh, hey, we're at war with the Dutch now. So you can take any of the other ships, just not English or whatever. That was just... You know, you had your team. Mm-hmm. And so then they get another ship called the Jacob, and they dip out of Boston. Within a week, though, they had a crew of 85, including this guy James Gilliam. He comes up a bunch in this story, so remember his name. Within a week of leaving Boston, they all decide, fuck privateering, let's be pirates again. <laughs> <laughs> and they made Culliford the captain's quartermaster. Uh, the quartermaster on a pirate ship was the, basically the lead-ranking officer under the captain. They would have veto power over the captain in any orders that he gave as long as they weren't currently in pursuit or engaged in battle. Yeah. And this was a position he was voted into. Popular guy right from the go, I think. Oh, yeah. So they're doing their pirate thing. And in 1692, they land in Mangreal, which is on the Indian coast. They get up to some pillaging and raping and beating up locals like they do. But that night, a local woman convinced them to hold a shooting contest. So she's like, which one of you is the best shot? Oh, uh, oh, I've, I've got the best shot here. Right right, right here, I do. I'm Shortbeard the Pirate, and I've got the best shot on the uh, ship. No, you don't. I've got the best shot on the ship. Oh, no, you don't. I've got the best shot on the ship. Well, why don't you show me? And she puts up a little bottle or something, and they start to shoot away. They just keep shoot, 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 shoot. Oh, I'm out of me bullets. So you've got a bunch of empty-handed pirates, drunk as fuck, and then this mangry old boy swims out to their ship, and he cuts their hanker cables, so the ship just turns sideways and drifts ashore and beaches itself. And so the locals all run in, I guess pitchforks in hand, and they captured 18 pirates, including Gilliam, Culliford, and John Swan. There he is. Yeah, so there he is. That's the first time we hear the name John Swan. So I'm going to assume that they picked up John in Boston when they got the crew for the Jacob. Let's make him a Boston boy. So they get roughed up. They get shackled. They get left in this disgusting, feces-filled, hot-ass tropical prison. Gross. And Richard Zacks wrote in The Pirate Hunter, The True Story of Captain Kidd, These desperate men sought any kind of recreation or consolation. It was here that Robert Culliford and John Swan became the best of friends. So if I may enter hypothetical harbor. (laughs) Yes, you may. Thank you. I'm thinking John Swan joins the Jacob and is just like maybe immediately captivated by this magnetic, charismatic, athletic, smart, literate pirate like, uh, like Robert. And then perhaps 
John Swan maybe showed some real loyalty, even worship or, or love for Robert. And that kind of won him over like, oh, this is my guy. Like, I can trust this guy. This is my man. Yeah. Well, Robert was so like cunning and athletic and passionate, mm-hmm. charismatic. He was literate. Right. Mm-hmm. And unusual. A lot of pirates were not literate. Oh, yeah. Including John Swan. He could make a J.S., but that was it. So after a while, during their four years in prison, they got the privilege to work aboard the Muslim ships outside this dock, right? And so sometime in the spring of 1696, they actually managed to overpower their guards and escape. And they took off and they managed to get to Bombay looking for work. Bombay is present day Mumbai. Robert gets there and he signs on as a gunner's mate aboard this ship, the Josiah. And he tried to get John Swan on, too, but they they didn't bring him. So this is the first time they are apart in like six years or so. Um, so let's find out what happens to them right after this commercial break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Welcome back, mateys. It's 1696, and Robert has just signed on to board the Josiah and is on his way out of Bombay. Did I set the mood? You did. I feel like I'm on board myself. The Josiah is sailing from Bombay to Madras to trade cloth. The captain gets sick, 
and it delays their leaving from Madras. And so Robert goes ashore. He has a drink with his friend, uh, this guy named James Croft. And he's like, hey, James, why don't you come check out the Josiah? I'll show you around. And they row back to the ship. And James is looking around innocently while Robert cuts the anchor cable, tells everyone else to unfurl the sails, and they just left with the Josiah and 22 men. (laughs) Bye. And they went to Nicobar's, which is a long cluster of islands. So Robert leaves James Croft, the guy he kidnapped, on board and goes to enjoy some island life. Natives gave them a huge feast and they drank and they ate. And James is back on the ship. This guy knows nothing about navigation, but he's like, hey, uh, while that guy's gone... I'm fucking out of here. And he's got no crew, so he just points the ship towards the direction where he thinks the Isle of Achen is. And then, boom, he just dips out, hauls anchor, and is like, hope for the best. Bye. (laughs) Bloody pirates. (laughs) He just abandons Robert and his crew back on the the Nicobars there. So Robert and his crew are a little nervous because... Along with this story about them having tails and horns and all this stuff, another very popular rumor about the Nicobars is that the natives have these neighbors who are Andaman cannibals. And apparently they're so fierce that maybe they make these islanders provide them five fresh human victims every year to roast slowly over a leafy fire. (laughs) So they're all nervous, like, oh, no, at any any day now, the Nicobars are just going to hand us over to the Andamans. And maybe they just fed us so that we would be good feeding for oh, someone else. Us up. Yeah. <laughs> but that same night, John Swan, our old buddy, and James Gilliam are just south of Nicobars on an English East India Company ship called the Mocha Frigate. This is the ship that they got onto from Bombay. And this is one of the finest ships in the fleet. It's huge. It's got big guns and they're headed to China. But morale is low. The captain sucks. Mm -hmm. His name is Leonard Edgecombe. And he was a dick. I mean, even by those standards in the 17th century. Very low bar. And he went under it. (laughs) So anyway, this guy sucks real bad. And a third of his crew bailed and left him on his, you know, with with very few people left. So at this point, when he gets to Bombay, he's like, yeah, John Swan, James Gilliam, you guys want to join up? Yeah, I'll take anybody. Well, more foolish for him because they were pirates. I don't think he knew they were actually pirates. He was just like, ah, you're some stout men who look like you know what you're about. Right. Come on board. And they were like, sure, we'll come on board your your ship. Uh I'm sure it'll be your ship for a long time. So guess how well that turned out for him. Very soon after they joined up, James Gilliam sneaks into Edgecombe's berth while he's sleeping and slits his throat. <laughs> Man, a lot of, lot of bedtime throat slitting going on in this age. I have to wonder about the bed sheets. Who washed all this blood out? I imagine that it was just polite to just have red bed sheets so that the stains <laughs> didn't show through. You Captains know, it's like, that... like, let me save you the trouble. Yeah. So they take over the ship and they offer everyone on board a chance for the merry life in short. They're like, you can all be pirates too. A lot of them, 26 of them, said, no, we don't want to be pirates. Many of the pirates voted to kill the people who wouldn't join them, but the majority voted to let them go. So here's that democracy at work. And they sent 18 of them off. They actually set them down pretty close to land. They gave them oars and a sail and some water and everything. Like, they were really pretty nice to them by by pirate standards. (laughs) 
Oh, you don't want to be pirates, do ya? Well, we'll show you. Here you go. Be safe now. Here's some water and some food. You don't want to, you know, make sure you cover up. You don't want to get sunburned. And off you go. Have a pleasant Thank day. Thank you for sailing the pirate ship, <laughs> Mocha Frigate. Watch your step as you deboard the ship. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not bad. They're very, you know, for murderous rapists, mm-hmm. again, they, they could be worse. I relatively don't know. nice. It's uh, really hard to kind of set a, a benchmark for these guys. Mm-hmm. They did keep eight of the guys. Uh, that wanted to leave. They made them stay, probably because they were pretty skilled. So they <laughs> don't send Johnny out. Uh, we need to keep him. He makes great cheese buttons. Oh, yeah. Got to keep the cheese button guy. <laughs> um, or because it was a common gambit for people who wanted to become pirates to be like, I'll say no, but like, wink, wink, I will be a pirate. Yeah. Just write in the record that you forcibly detained me and yeah. it'll help me if I ever get this caught. death sentence if we get caught. Yeah. So it, say, I hey I told them no I didn't want it and then they made me be a pirate they made me live in this democratic society where I got to do whatever I wanted <laughs> yeah. yeah and they also made me run a bunch of people through I promise yeah they twisted me arm um for example they kept the surgeon whose name was Jonathan Death paging Doctor Death you're needed on the poop deck <laughs> could I get a different doctor please <laughs> oh you've got a little scrape on your knee there don't worry we'll take you in to see Doctor Death. Wow. Do you think that he was like, well, with this kind of name, I can either be a doctor or a mortician. There's, <laughs> it would be weird to be a baker named Death. <laughs> so the 18 guys who were let off the ship, who decided not to be pirates and left, they ended up in Aachen, where they met James Croft, the guy who Culliford had kidnapped, and then he stole Culliford's ship and left him stranded. He's there hanging on Aachen. He made it. <laughs> uh, and he's hanging out with the captain of this ship, the Elizabeth. George Wallace. Mm-hmm. And they all get drinks together and they hear James's heroic story about how he stole a ship back from a dread pirate. So there I was, alone in a ship. They were all ashore. And I think to myself, might as well give it a go, you know? Oh, you must be a mighty fine captain to sail a ship all by yourself. That's right. I, I did it all myself. I hoisted the mainsail and I... Poured it out of there. Anyway, another round on me. <laughs> hey, hey, yo-ho. So he tells them and George Wallace all about stealing the Josiah and leaving Robert and his pirates stranded on Nicobars. And nine of these 18 guys sign on to go with Captain Wallace and the Elizabeth to go after Robert on Nicobars. They think if the natives hadn't eaten him, the English East India Company would pay a pretty sweet ransom for capturing a pirate. Mm -hmm. So these guys load up onto the Elizabeth and they head that way. So we got three factions right now. I just want to clarify because all these names sound the damn same. You've got Robert Culliford and his boys with the natives on Nicobars. You've got John Swan and James Gilliam who are aboard the Mocha Frigate. And then you've got George Wallace on the Elizabeth and all his boys going to capture Culliford from the native island. So Wallace is on the Elizabeth, as you say. He gets to Nicobar's, and he pretends to just be this defenseless merchant ship. Oh, all I have is gold and food on this ship and nothing to defend it with. Valuable goods. Oh, what do I do? And it lures Robert, as as they expected. It Uh lures Robert, who thinks it's this easy take. And they capture him and two other pirates that had swam out to grab them. And tied him up below decks. 
And they would have left right away. Take them back to the English East India Company. That might have been the last time we ever heard of Robert Culliford. But a storm blew up and they had to wait it out. And the next day, who should show up but the Mocha Frigate with James Gilliam and John Swan on board. They've got a pirate crew of 35. And they show up, they see the Elizabeth, and they find out that they've got pirate prisoners. And they said, hey, you got to release those pirates because we're pirates. We're not going to Give them you. to us. <laughs> yeah, we'll take them. We'll turn them into our pirates. Yeah, we need more guys. Yeah. <laughs> We've only got 35. <laughs> and Wallace, of course, is like, hell no. I'm going to take these guys back. I'm going to get the ransom for him. So he goes to the governor of Siam and says, hey, you've got to detain these pirates because they're being real mean to us. And Siam is like, no, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. You're English. And I ain't fucking dealing with you right now because for some reason, <laughs> us folks from Siam aren't on the best of terms with you English folk. And we're not just going to do whatever the fuck you ask us to at the drop of a hat. Can't imagine. Why not? <laughs> Apparently it was some ruckus back in 1687 that they were like, actually, fuck you guys. Yeah, it was some ruckus back in all of all time. time. <laughs> <laughs> so Wallace realizes, all right, I can't, Siam's not going to help me. I can't wait these pirates out. So, and if I don't get the fuck out of here, they're going to take all of my shit. Mm-hmm. This is a big pirate ship with a lot of fucking pirates and on it. And probably kill me. And probably kill me too, yeah. So, all right, they want the prisoners, we'll give them the prisoners. And they put them in a little rowboat and they send them back to shore. And they say, hey, Siam, you arrest these pirates. You guys deal with them. Mm-hmm. And it was a trick. Because as soon as the Mocha Frigate pirates go after the rowboat, the Elizabeth dips. They make mm-hmm. a getaway. They manage to escape. They slipped away while the Mocha Frigate went for the bait. So it was pretty smart on George Wallace's part. And Robert and the other two pirates are hoisted aboard the Mocha Frigate like heroes and given, like, a big welcome. And from across the deck, John Swan sees Robert Culliford as one of these prisoners. And he goes running. Slow motion across the deck of the ship, pushing pirates out of the way. Jumps into his arms, and Robert picks him up and twirls him around. (laughs) They kiss, and the sunset is right behind them. And it makes a little heart silhouette between their chins. There's a little spray of water, and it makes a rainbow. Uh-huh. A dolphin jumps. <laughs> it's very Lisa Frank. And then a whale jumps. <laughs> and then a narwhale jumps. Wow, a lot of things jump on. It's just beautiful moment. That's historical record now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and they already had a captain, so they made Robert quartermaster. Because is, everybody loves Robert. I mean, everyone loves Robert. <laughs> Uh, and then when the captain died shortly after, they made Robert the captain. He's only 30 years old. And Richard Zacks, again in The Pirate Hunter, wrote that probably the reason they liked Culliford so much was that he was daring without a death wish, a man with larcenous plans, a surprisingly good bottle companion, witty, athletic, clearly devious, but trustworthy to his mates. And all that, combined with the ability to read and write, which really impressed his pirate colleagues, made him a very tough candidate to beat for captain. So, yeah, you can kind of see why everybody was sort of into this guy. He even had this brilliant idea one time when they were fighting. He ordered the men to haul the china dishes that they had off a captured ship and shove them into the cannons and fire them at the next ship they were fighting so that it would shred their sails. I immediately thought of Pirates of the Caribbean when they uh-huh. did that. They did and they exactly put all that. The, yes. And then it, the guy had the fork stuck in his glass eye. Yeah. <laughs> so Gore Verbinski got that from somewhere. That was, that was not real. totally made up. That was a real thing that happened. The Mocha Frigate sails from Madagascar. We've got John Swan. we got Robert Culliford. And we've got James Gilliam and the surgeon John Death on board. Dr. Death on board. <laughs> 
So the Fab Four, <laughs> Sailing the Seven four, Seas yeah. here. It's 1697, and they decide to go hang out on St. Mary's Island in Madagascar for a little while. Lay low. And so, yeah, Robert holed up in a Malagasy village, living in a shack on stilts with a trio of dark-skinned lovelies. So, <laughs> this is so good. <sighs> Most of the time that he's here, Captain Kidd is also there. And he's been, ooh, he just wants to catch Robert Cullerford so bad. I mean, this guy really did him dirty. Mm -hmm. And Captain Kidd's whole job is to catch pirates. Captain Kidd kind of had this, like, real shifty arrangement. He was in a really unique position. Or he was basically operating as, like, a freelance non-pirate, sort of. He was catching pirates and bringing their haul back. Um, but of course he had a really hard time with that because a lot of his crew always just wanted to be pirates mm -hmm. and take the treasure that they looted. Um, so it was always a trick for him, but he's here in Madagascar and he's, they're eyeballing each other. They can never quite, neither of them can do anything, but they're both just like, I see you. Ooh, I'm going to get you. Oh, I can't wait to get you. <laughs> yeah. They don't, they don't know how each other's doing, you know, like how's your ship? conditions, how many men do you have? They're not quite sure, so that's uh -huh. why they're not attacking each other because they don't know if they can win yet. Seems like Kid's going to get lucky because the backup shows up for him, another ship arrives right. that's friends with him. But unfortunately, as you pointed out, his crew is so over him. They really want to be pirates. He won't let them be pirates. Uh, so they mutiny, and 96, 96 of them desert him for Robert. <laughs> that reminds me of uh, Macrinus. In the Elagabalus story, if you haven't right. listened to that episode, uh, where he sends his best men that he has left to go out and, and kill all the people who, who were traitors and signed up to fight with Elagabalus. And all of his lieutenants are like, yeah, we'll go do that. And then as soon as they leave, they're like, no, we're ditching you and we're going to sign up with them instead. Yes. Oh, my God. Similar energy here. Captain Kidd had a bunch of, of gold and jewels and stuff that they had got. And so these mutineers are trying to get it from him. And he basically runs ashore. He barricades himself in this cabin, and he's got most of the most valuable stuff on him. And they never do get it because Kid is kind of a patsy in his life, unfortunately. But he was a very brave and smart guy, mm -hmm. also. Good and so he did. managed to keep them from a killing him and his friend, his loyal companions, and getting all this treasure. But whatever he left on the ships, they took that shit. They burned the ships. And then they fucked off <laughs> and left Captain Kidd high and dry yet again, June 1698, stranded until at least October. So rude. Can you imagine how pissed off Captain Kidd would have? God damn, <laughs> this fucking guy. So Culliford sailed off to try and get this Muslim pilgrim fleet he'd heard about. There was this rumor going around that there was this huge, I mean, the white whale of ship plunders, right? You had to, if you could bring this down up. Uh, this is the this is what's the hotel they rob in Ocean's Eleven? <laughs> oh, this yeah. is this is the Bellagio. Uh, Bellagio. Like if you can, if you can get this one, we can retire. This is the shit. So he meets up with these two other pirates that are kind of lying in wait for this ship. Captain Derek Shivers of Shiver Me Timbers fame, I suppose. Perfect. Um, and he's sailing this ship. It's a real leaky old ship called the Soldados. And then Captain Wheeler, who's sailing the Pelican. And they all agree, all right, the three of us, we're doing this. We're going to work together to take down this fleet, and we'll share whatever we get. Mm -hmm. So they're sailing out, and they pull up on this pilgrim ship, the Great Muhammad. Culliford and Shivers managed to take this ship down. But the pelican was dragging ass too slow, and they took some shots, but like, 
just landed in the water, never Useless. got close enough. Flaccid. Yep. <laughs> just couldn't do it. So so when uh when Wheeler shows up and he's like, Hey, we did it, guys. <laughs> hey, we can uh, we're gonna split this three ways, right? No. Yeah, no, no. Uh we're we're not. We're we're gonna take this one. You, you, nice try, but you didn't help, so bye. You didn't do jack shit. Yep. But they managed to haul in a bunch of treasure and goods and everything that ended up being worth 231,000 pounds. This was the biggest capture in the history of piracy in the East Indies. Insanely huge haul. Still waiting to break that record today. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically, uh, let's see. So if we calculate that up and get the total in today's money, that's going to be equal to... Over $42 million. You know they were happy. Oh, not bad. And there was what, like 130 of them? Probably. And yeah, as we say, pirates, not great people. Right. Um, they did torture and kill a lot of people on board. Sorry, and... this was fun for a second, but we got to bring it down. Yeah, I just want to be real. I just want to be real. Sorry, guys. I'm the buzzkill of the podcast. <laughs> I think they were the buzzkills for doing all this. <laughs> That's true. It's, it's not my fault. fault. We were having fun, and then you assholes had to go and be assholes. <laughs> we were having a great time with this boat heist. No, unfortunately, and it, we were talking about a pilgrim ship, so there were a lot of women on board, and all of them got raped very brutally in broad daylight, um, over 60 women. Um, enough so that four of them jumped overboard and a fifth stabbed herself oh, because God. of the shame and probably afraid to get pregnant by these pirates and stuff Jeez. like that. So because of that part of it, this heist, this taking of this ship, not only got up the usual economic outrage about the money lost and the goods lost and everything, but also a lot of religious outrage came from it. They were yeah. like, they desecrated our our women. And, you know, it, it was just... A really big problem. Yeah. So the Muslim port, Surat, which is where the great Muhammad had left from, they, they closed their port to any English ship because this was the problem, okay, with piracy. It was not just that they were stealing stuff and the merchants had to replace it or lost money or whatever. It was that, but it was also because India and all these other foreign countries they were going to trade with basically lumped all Europeans together. And they were like, I don't really need to sort you out by country or if who's a merchant and who's a pirate. I don't care. So the English East India Company was getting blamed for a lot of stuff that pirates were doing. So it was making them furious. It was making trade just a horrible problem. Of course, if they close a port, that fucks it up for a lot of people back at home. So it was a big deal. And nobody talked about Culliford and Shivers. The only name they had heard rumored as being a crazy pirate in this parts oh, no. was poor old Captain Kidd. Oh, Captain Kidd. So they blamed it all on Captain Kidd, and he got in trouble for that shit. Even though he never did any of that, he ended up in jail in Boston for a long time, oh, and then he had God. to go to England to stand trial for some shit he did not even do. It's so tough with Captain Kidd because he's like... Literally trying to do the right thing, but he has to do it so secretively that no one really knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So he's just his his image is so tarnished yeah. while he's trying to be good. Meanwhile, Robert and Swan and everyone else, all the other pirates are flesh with cash, <laughs> as John Ralphio would say. So they vote to head back to America and England by way of St. Mary's Island in Madagascar. They decided to have a little island life first. It's a nice stopping point. The captains brought hundreds of gallons of wine 
and it's an easy sail from South India down to Madagascar. And pretty soon they turn this into just a floating all men womenless party, the world's biggest floating stag party. <laughs> no doe-eyed girlies. <laughs> no doe-eyed girlies at this party. A real, a real hairy thaw ship. <laughs> you think they played Nisusa? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> so these men, they're sailing down there. They gambled. They drank. They danced with each other. Pirate fiddler was working overtime on this he boat. That's what I'm saying. This guy's fiddling. <laughs> and around Christmas of 1698, they arrived in St. Mary's and they met up with Captain Shelley, who was a merchant ship from New York, who was there. With a boatload of shit, and he was all too happy to sell it to all these guys. He's, he was like, "Oh, I'm I'm just taking all this stuff back to port so I can sell it." And they're like, "Uh, why don't you sell that shit right here?" And he's right. like, "Great, save me a fucking trip." He's selling them wine, rum, pipes, pistols, gunpowder, fancy hats, mirrors and combs and scissors and shirts, whatever he's got on board. They're buying. They're setting up a life for themselves here. Yeah, they were crowding so much to get on his ship to buy liquor from him that he couldn't fit them all on. So he built a shack on shore and made a bar and sold them liquor out there. Fuck it, I'm opening a beach bar. I mean, why not? The business is booming. <laughs> we got a Margaritaville going on. <laughs> it was the first Margaritaville. <laughs> by Captain Shelley. This is a pretty sleepy place. It's not a busy port. Uh, it's a very primitive island. It's real cheap to live there. There's plenty of meat and there's fruit to be had. There's lemurs running around and they usually shot at them and oh, like fucked rude. with them, which is fucking rude. That's... But in Pirate Hunter, he points out that one pirate got mauled by a pack of lemurs and his buddies were laughing too hard to rescue him. <laughs> That'd be that... me. I'd be laughing too. I know, but like, why you shoot at a monkey, you bitch? Yeah. Monkeys are smart. They'll shoot back. Yeah. <laughs> Don't fuck with a monkey. <laughs> and so a lot of them were... A lot of these pirates are really eager to get home because they've got they, they've got money now for days. Like oh, they yeah. can live very comfortably. Right. And a lot of people weren't pirates because they liked it. They were there for the money. And yeah. so once they got their retirement fund, they would fuck off. But Robert, quote, comfortably settled himself along with his great consort, John Swan, and apparently auditioned some of the island's cinnamon-colored, high-cheekboned women for the honor of being Mrs. Culliford. That's such a white writer thing to do. I know, cinnamon color. <laughs> like cinnamon. Like, okay, okay. Anyway, Captain Johnson wrote, they married the most beautiful of the women, not one or two, but as many as they liked, so that every one of them had as great a seraglio as the grand seigneur at Constantinople. Which, so that was a nice throwback to our Suleiman episode. Oh, yeah. yeah the he little was harems. trying to be a little Suleiman going on. <laughs> And also just want to note, they didn't really marry the women legally. It was just preferred that you kind of picked a prostitute or two to, like, be your wife while you were there instead of, like, seeing a different girl every night. Mm -hmm. So that's it wasn't really, like, Mrs. Culliford. It was, like, this is my prostitute while I'm here kind of thing. And also this quote where they call John Swan his great consort. This is kind of the linchpin that made historians wonder if they had kind of more going on than a professional relationship. Some historians say consort was a professional term for a fellow sailor, like kind of a right-hand man. But, I mean, here they are with, like, all the money they could ever want, and they still chose to live together. Yeah. It was the been two like... of them in this shack with all their, with, you know, with a bunch of wives they picked up. <laughs> right. But they have never left each other's side this whole time. That's what, that's what made me be like, I know it's just like a throwaway line. And there was some historians were like, that's not what consort means to pirates and stuff. It's not the same. But... 
to me, yeah, they're like cramped on a ship for months and months. Now they're on an island where they have plenty of money. They can live separately, but they choose to live together and share wives. I don't know. To me, that seems that just speaks to a closer connection. Yeah. Than just yeah. that's my bro. That's my bro. You know what I mean? Right. And Culliford and his entourage, they all chilled out on the beach and they ate zebu and goat and yeah it was fresh meat that they just ate right then and there after they killed it i mean this is after years of eating salted beef and like potatoes out of a barrel right on the ship and they've unimaginable luxury oh yeah and they've got fresh caribbean rum coming Mm -hmm. off of shelly's ship they got everything they want why would they want to fucking leave so after sunset he was lounging in a bed with his wives and colorford and Swan, they said, you know what? We're going to stay right here a while. In pirate paradise. And we're going to come back to pirate paradise right after this. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Soon may the Wellerman come and bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, I'll take my leave and go. Something like that. Welcome back to Pirate Paradise, everybody. Which also, by the way, could be a cool Margaritaville type restaurant. I sure. go. Pirate Paradise. <laughs> They're living it up on St. Mary's. 
And this guy, Samuel Burgess, shows up on another merchant ship. He's got, like, all the same shit that Captain Shelley has. Uh-huh. Turns out Shelley knew that Burgess was on the way, and that's why he was trying real hard to push his goods on these pirates. (laughs) (laughs) And so when Burgess gets there, he's like, fuck you, man. There is a place in hell for guys like you. (laughs) (laughs) Scooped my business. Exactly. Um, Because Shelley not only sold them a bunch of stuff that Burgess wants to sell them also, but he also had convinced many of these pirates to pay him for passage home. Because if you got on a merchant ship, they could kind of fudge your credentials and you could duck the whole pirate thing. You could get back with your stuff and not be bothered. Um, So he was like, oh, come on, I'll take you. And Shelley loved taking passengers because he's like, not only do they pay me a fee for the ride, but I get to sell them shit for five months while they're on board. They're going to drink my my drinks and they're going to eat my food. They're going to have to pay me for that. Yep. Culliford didn't want to go with Shelley back to to England or anything like that, but he did send money to one of his dead crew members' wives. His wife was living in England, and he sends her 3,000 pieces of eight. Uh, I want to jump in here. Piece of eight is one-eighth of a coin of a Spanish real, from what I could tell. So that had the buying power equal to about $12.50 today. So 3,000 pieces of eight... He's sending back to this wife is about $37,500 in today's money. Which is a fortune, especially in the 1690s. I mean, this wife is probably very excited to get this package. And again, that's the pirates are really making the Navy and the merchants look bad because not only are they paying their fucking workers, but they're paying the wife of a dead guy. You know what I mean? They're making sure that she gets her share. Yeah. And meanwhile, people in the Navy are being delayed payments for months on end so much that they would write letters being like, we will become pirates because we cannot (laughs) eat unless you pay me. Yeah. And they almost rioted and stuff. So I'm just saying they made their own pirates. Okay, the East India Company made pirates. They didn't just Mm -hmm. fight pirates. They created them. Shelly leaves. He's like, all right, I have, they have bled me dry. I've sold enough shit for a while here, you know, and he takes the 3,000 pieces of eight for the wife and he heads back. But Burgess stays with all his fancy ship and nice goods. So Robert and John continue living a cushy life. They've still got all the supplies they could ever want. They're living this sweet beach life. Salt life. And they could afford all the best that Burgess had to offer. He tried to tempt Culliford to pay him for a ride home. But see, Culliford knew Samuel Burgess because way back in the day, he had been a part of the party that stole Captain Kidd's ship, the Blessed William, way back in the day, remember? And Burgess was actually the quartermaster of that ship. But the pirates found out that he was cheating them. So they kicked him off the ship in Madagascar in 1691. Now it's 1699, eight years later, and Burgess has clearly got his shit together, and he's sailing this merchant ship now with all this stuff, but Culliford is still pissed at him for that. Yeah, Burgess had just got lucky, because normally if you cheat pirates, they maroon you forever, they don't come back to you, you know what I mean? Right. But after Culliford and his friends got grabbed up by those Mangreal locals and put in jail... I guess the crew just needed some people because <laughs> they got 18 of them. <laughs> yeah. And so they returned for Burgess and they found him begging in the streets and they were like, you can come back. Wow. So at any rate, Culliford was like, no, nah, I'm not going to sail home with you. I don't even trust you. But he does send a note with him to that same widow of his crew member. And he said, 
I want to let her know the money I sent and how much I sent. Just in case Shelly, you know, dropped it somewhere mm. or something that fell off the back of the boat. You know, so it just goes to show like how honorable these guys were in their own way about mm. certain things, you know. Yeah, very specific. <laughs> Selectively uh, honorable. It, but, ethics. you know, it's again, it's kind of honor among thieves. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is for my crewmate, so I'm going to take care of him and I'm going to take care of his wife. And this is exactly how they would treat a matalote as well. Right. So, you know, right. if the matalote was not on board, they would find him and give him this share. Yep. Like that was really important to them. And Culliford and Swan ended up hanging out on St. Mary's Island from April to August, just chilling, the two of them and their wives. And uh, interject, I looked it up, and this is the best time to hang out in Madagascar. It said the best times to visit Madagascar are between April and October, where temperatures range from 72 degrees to 84 degrees. There's very little rain, just beautiful beach life. Ah, I can't imagine. Sounds great. Oh, my God. Tanning. Take away. Drinking. Fucking. Chilling. Take away the long history of murder and rape and being a monster, and I would totally dive into this. Right. But then in August, what changes in August? Well, Captain Thomas Warren showed up. And Captain Thomas Warren has this proclamation from his uncle, the Commodore Warren. Commodore Warren? Oh, yeah. The Commodore. And... That, that states that Thomas has been tasked with granting pardons to any English pirate immediately. What a deal. Apparently, the Commodore was like, I got to destroy pirates. So to most people, that means I arrest them or I kill them. But if I pardon them, they're not pirates anymore. <laughs> Just boom. Hey, you wanted me to get rid of the pirate problem. Now there aren't any. I don't have any pirates. Hey, if I legalize what? murder, then... The crime rate is going to plummet. Why haven't we thought about this before? (laughs) If you just pardon everyone, there's no criminals. There's no crime. Done. So Robert hears about this deal, and he's really suspicious because, you know, they fucking hate pirates. So he's like, this is probably a trap. Sounds a little too good. He's the only one who can read. So he's like, I'm going to go check it out and make sure this isn't a trick. And he gets all dressed up and fancy, and he goes to Warren's ship. And he reads the proclamation and gets through all the fine print. It seems kosher. And he reads through all the fine print. And ironically, part of the fine print is that there are only two pirates who are not allowed to take part in these pardons because of their heinous crimes of piracy. One is a guy named Henry Every, notorious pirate. Oh, sure. Every bad crime had Henry Every Every. behind it. Mm. And the other... Was Captain Kidd. No! The one guy who had done his best not to be a pirate, but he got blamed for everything Robert did. And Richard Zacks wrote, History has failed to record whether Culliford laughed out loud, but Uh, I think he did. He must have, because he's like, I'm being offered a pardon that he's not allowed to get, and he's not allowed to get it because of the thing I I did. He's going to hang for my shit. That's funny. Oh, my funny. God. So, yeah, he, so he's reading that he's laughing about Captain Kidd, probably, but doesn't say why. Oh, nothing. nothing's funny. <laughs> Just a little private joke. But he, you know, again, Robert's a smart guy. He's not stupid. So he asks Captain Warren, will you write on a piece of paper that you've promised me, Robert Culliford, a pardon? I want my own little piece of paper. Uh-huh. And so he does, and he keeps it on him in his pocket for over a year. 
And he asks Warren, hey, well, since you're going to pardon us, can me and my friends get a ride back with you and you can set us down on English soil? And Warren's like, sure, no problem. And so Robert's like, holy shit, this is perfect. I get to get away with everything I did. I get to keep all my money. Now I get to go home, a free man, back to my native England and live like a very rich guy for the rest of my days. So he goes to Swan and the other pirates, and he's like, this is a great deal. We're going to take it. They're like, great, sounds great. And they decide not to take their servants or wives with them. They leave them with some parting gifts like ribbons and silk. And they leave right away with with Captain Warren. So we got Culliford, Swan, and 16 other pirates on board with, with Thomas Warren right now. So they get on Thomas Warren's ship and they're sailing out and they're going to go meet up with his uncle because he actually has to sign the pardon to make it real. Yeah, it doesn't count if the ca- for the captain to say it. The Commodore has to give it to you. So right now all they have is a promise of a pardon. Right. They don't actually have a pardon Nothing yet. Nothing official. So they go to the east coast of Madagascar where they're going to meet Commodore Warren. But here's the thing about Commodore Warren. He's got a nickname, and that nickname is Wrong Way Warren because he's a dumbass who doesn't know how to navigate, and he keeps going the wrong fucking way. How did he ever get to be a Commodore? You know, failing up is as old as the as the British Empire. Failing's <laughs> oldest sure. So he sailed. So Commodore Warren sails up the west coast by accident. Never met a single pirate to issue a pardon for on that side of the country. Because they're all on the East Coast. They're all on the East Coast. It's not that big of an island. (laughs) He's just sailing up like, uh, well, let's see. uh, Is it uh, left? Which one's west? Left or right? Port, starboard? I I can never remember these. Uh, Uh, You have a compass there, sir. No, 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 no. I don't know. That way. He just closes his eyes and points. Just look at the compass, sir. I'm the, I'm the Commodore. I don't need your advice. So he ends up totally in the wrong place. So the Vine, Thomas Warren's ship, is just kind of waiting for him to show up. And then who sails by but Burgess? Culliford and the others are super happy to see him. They're like, great. We'll tell all our pirate friends about this pardon thing. But something's not right with Burgess's ship. Turns out he'd been boarded by an East India Company guy named Louth. He decided, nah, fuck this whole pardons thing. I'm not going to pay attention to that. And he arrested everyone on that ship as pirates. So Culliford, going over here to try and talk to his friend, doesn't realize that he's sailing right into a trap. And Warren goes aboard Louth's ship. And Louth, again, ignores the whole pardons thing. Warren's like, I'm telling you, I'm here to pardon pirates. That's the whole reason I'm here. And Louth is like, I don't give a shit. I want the reward for these pirates. So hand me over your pirate passengers. And Warren's like, I don't have any pirate passengers. They've been pardoned. So they're just regular passengers. (laughs) Sorry, bitch. And he said, if you fuck with me, I will seek the protection of the Dutch. Because the Dutch are getting along with the English right now. So he's like, I'll go tell them that you're you're messing with me wrongly. And they'll they'll have my back. So Louth was like, fat chance, and has him shackled and thrown below decks in chains. Damn. And Culliford gets suspicious because Warren's not coming back, right? So Louth gets 40 guys. He's like, we're going to go aboard the Vine. We're going to get these pirates. And they row out and they get close to the Vine. And they're about to, like, crawl up a rope and get on board and grab them. But what do they see? Robert Culliford standing at the railing, smiling real big, surrounded by armed Dutch guards. Because he had got suspicious and was like, where's Warren? Okay, let me take Uh care of this situation. 
because you don't get one over Robert Culliford. <laughs> Not no. often, anyway. And so they probably were out in the middle between their two ships, like, like, rowing real turn hard. Turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around. Row back, row back. <laughs> we got Dutch here, we got Dutch. <laughs> so he goes back, Lauf is totally thwarted. He goes back to his own ship and finally decides to ask Warren a fucking question or two, because he's an idiot, I guess. <laughs> and that's when he finds out that Warren's uncle is the Commodore. <laughs> and suddenly it gets a lot nicer. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, your uncle's the Commodore, you say? Oh, your uncle <laughs> is the Commodore. Terrible misunderstanding. <laughs> All right. I thought you said you were... Look, never mind. The point is, what can I do for you? Yeah, right. <laughs> My good friend, Thomas. What are these chains doing Who here? Who shackled I... you? So rude. I told them not to do that. He, like, shoots someone. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> How dare you? The, the Commodore's nephew. This is the Commodore's nephew. <laughs> So he's like suddenly a lot nicer to Warren. He's like, can you prove that this pardon thing is real? Y'all can all go. Sorry. No hard feelings. So all the pirates on board Warren's ship are good to go. But all the pirates, including Burgess, that are on Louth's ship, they don't get a pardon. They're still arrested. So then Warren gets back to his own ship. Now he's got to bribe the friggin' Dutch governor (laughs) because they have all these armed guards here. But finally, it all works out, and they leave, and they're heading to England. Burgess and Shivers, like I say, are still prisoners on Louth's ship, and Shivers actually dies in a Bombay prison, and then Burgess ends up being shipped back to England to stand trial. So Culliford and Swan got to St. Helena in February of 1700. They and a few others debarked there, and they said goodbye. Swan and Culliford spoke, and Swan decided that he much preferred the warm Caribbean weather to the harsh winters of England, and he was going to continue on to Barbados. So Robert had to find a ride home, and by March, he's on his way to London, and the two of them had parted ways. Yeah. I mean, we got a Boston boy. He he says, I've oh, yeah. experienced island life now. Why nah. the fuck would I go back to Massachusetts? Nah, I'm not doing that cold weather up in... I'm going to park my car in the Barbados yacht. (laughs) (laughs) So on Culliford's way to England, they passed Hope Point, where corpses of pirates hung in the breeze as a warning to other pirates. And one of those corpses was James Gilliam, that man that he sailed with for so long. Remember, Gilliam was the guy who helped them take Edgecombe's ship and slit his throat. Good friend. Good pirate friend. Culliford knew that a lot of pirates get caught at the end. And so he's cooking up a plan because he's like, I'm too close here to the end. I'm going into, you know, shark-infested waters. I don't want to end up like my friend James up there. Exactly. So he had a friend on board, Ralph Patterson, who was a fellow pardoned pirate, and he wasn't feeling that well. So Culliford went... So Culliford told him to go to the captain and act like he was very sick, just near death, and that he needed to go ashore immediately for a doctor. And the captain, whose name was Whitwell, was like, oh, yes, I suppose we can send you ashore for the doctor. Sure. And so Ralph takes Culliford's treasure with him and heads for the shore, and they had arranged to meet up at an inn later. But of course, Captain Whitwell betrayed them both. He told authorities... I've got a notorious pirate on board, and I can tell you where to go find Ralph, uh, Ralph Patterson. He's taken a treasure chest, and he's gone to shore, so you can catch him. He's very sick. You'll be able to catch him easily. 
And Robert showed him the promise of the pardon letter that he had from Warren, but Whitwell was like, fuck that, I don't care. Ignored it just like Ralph did. But then, (laughs) good old Ralph (laughs) suddenly had a miraculous recovery. Suddenly he wasn't sick anymore, and he disappeared with Culliford's treasure. That's right. They did not catch him. Uh Uh-uh. Culliford was sent to Marshall Sea Prison, but there were no eyewitnesses to any of his pirate activity. So they had to let him make bail, and he knew where to find Ralph, so he sent a little note, he got a little money, and he only spent 18 days in jail. Meanwhile, Kid has been suffering in Newgate for months. <laughs> oh, Captain Kid! In solitary confinement, not allowed to see anyone or even have pen and paper to oh, write up his own defense. So sad. Only a few days after they let Robert go, right? They're like, oh, he's made bail. We can't prove it. Bye. See you later. Don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out or whatever. (laughs) A few days later, a guy confessed to sailing with Culliford when he made the biggest take in pirate history. So they must have felt (laughs) real stupid. This guy comes running up. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I'm not too late, but I'm an eyewitness. I was there when Culliford took down the biggest haul. In pirate history. You've still got him, right? God damn it. Bloody pirates. So they set out looking for Culliford again, obviously. And in October, he and Ralph are captured, and they're put in Newgate. But Culliford is able to pay bribes, because he's got a little money. Mm -hmm. Or a lot, depending who you ask, I guess. (laughs) And so he enjoyed a pretty easy stay, because prisons are for profit. And if you could pay for a bed and for clothes, um, they, in fact, operated a tavern as well. Wow. So you, if you had the money, you enjoyed what was called the Liberty of Newgate. And it basically meant you got to walk around the prison pretty freely. You could go to the tavern and drink. There were even female prisoners in the same place with these male prisoners, and they would sell sex so you could buy sex. So he's having kind of a... I mean, not a good time, I guess, but it's sort of similar to a pirate ship. You're in confined space and (laughs) you get to just kind of hang out there. And again, meanwhile, Captain Kidd is in solitary confinement. Oh, my God. Fucking sick as shit. They won't give him anything. He can't pay any bribes. On a wet stone floor. Right. Oh, God. Awful. Anyway, so over a year later, Culliford stands trial. And he and his pirates at first pleaded not guilty to the charge of piracy. But then suddenly, Robert says, actually, I'd like to change my plea to guilty. (gasps) But I was pardoned. So it's all good. (laughs) What I did. It's over now. Water under the boat. (laughs) And almost every one of the other ones also changed their pleas to guilty. They're like, well, if he's doing it, I'm doing it. Right. That's a smart guy. So yeah, yeah, I'm guilty too. I'm guilty too. I'm guilty too. I'm guilty too. Um, So almost all of them do the same thing. And it was pretty risky. Because if they if it worked, the pardon would stand. You'd get to keep all your money. All your crime would go away. You'd uh-huh. be a free man. But if they didn't accept your pardon, your guilty plea would stand, and you would get the mandatory death sentence for being a pirate. Fortunately, Culliford was granted a respite. He was the only one who was, which is not quite a full pardon, but it's a really good sign because basically they're like, okay, well, you, we're not going to kill you right now then. We'll, we'll let you chill for a minute while we kind of figure it out. And it washes away a decade of his crime. Captain Kidd was actually there to witness Culliford get his respite. And they, when they, you know, switch plaintiffs and Captain Kidd goes up on trial, Culliford is there to see Captain Kidd get two death sentences for the shit he didn't even do. For the shit Culliford did. Yeah. <laughs> so and I'll just, I'll just note here that Captain Kidd, even though he sees the guy who really did it, 
obviously isn't really trying very hard at this point because he could tell he's a patsy for the yeah. merchants that had backed him. He yep. knows they don't really care about the truth anymore. And he's like, they just want to get rid of me. Yep. So he's just got to watch all this happen and seethe. They all went back to Newgate. And in 1701, Captain Kidd was hanged. Uh, but Culliford ran out of money to pay his lawyer, and so he was kind of stuck in this legal limbo. He'd stashed money with friends of his in various places, but they wouldn't send it when he wrote to them because they were like, well, this guy's not going to get out. He's in prison. This pardon shit is not going to work out for him. So he's going to die in prison, and I'm just going to keep this money. Until one day, in late July 1701, who should arrive at Newgate but Samuel Burgess. No shit. To answer for his crimes of piracy. And they needed a witness against Samuel. And they were like, hmm, they're racking their brains. Who do we have? Oh, my gosh. Robert Culliford might know a few things about Samuel Burgess. And don't forget that Samuel Burgess was the quartermaster who fucked over the pirates on the Blessed William. So he's already got a grudge against this guy. Yeah. He has for a decade. Yeah. He's like, I will ha- I'm happy to testify against this gentleman. <laughs> but because he was neither pardoned nor convicted, he wasn't allowed to testify. So they had to get this pardon taken care of real quick so that they could use this witness against Burgess, a much <laughs> lesser pirate than, than Culliford. They so were like, they... look, your trial's going to be complicated. His trial's going to be easy. So uh, why don't you're pardoned and now you can testify. Great. Now mm-hmm. I can go home early tonight. Fine. I don't give a fuck what your crimes are. <laughs> like, that is irrelevant to us. I just oh need to put away. I just got to hit my quota of hangings this month. Right, God. Amazing. Justice in a general way has been done. (laughs) Uh, So authorities decide to get him pardoned. And apparently they had some genuine enthusiasm for it, according to Zach's. They were writing letters like, this guy's great. Can't be too bad. (laughs) He's so nice. (laughs) Everybody loves Robert, even his fucking jailers. Seriously. I got, you got to imagine that as Robert is, like, running people through with his sword, they're like, oh, oh man, you're so nice. <laughs> you're so smart and handsome. It's an honor to be killed by you. <laughs> so, yeah, so he gets his pardon. He's able to testify against Burgess, which he was did with uh, quite a smile on his face, I'm sure. <laughs> And Burgess was convicted and hanged. And Robert walked out, walked the fuck out of prison. He was broke. And he just had kind of a vague hope that he might get his money back from these friends he'd stashed it with. Although if I was him, I'd be real pissed when I showed up and I'm like, uh, I'm sorry, why didn't you send me the money I asked for? My money? Oh, because you didn't think I was going to get out? Well, here I am. You didn't have no faith in me, Robert Culliford? Yeah. To squeeze out of a difficult situation? But by the next year, summer 1702... Robert Culliford had disappeared from history. Yeah, we don't know whatever happened to him. Some people speculate that he joined John Swan again, either in the islands or went to America. Um, Some people think he returned to piracy and died at sea. That No one really knows. Maybe he lived out his life as a respectable dude in London, you know, and just pretended to be somebody he wasn't. But I like to think that he went and found John and they decided to either hang out on Barbados or back at St. Mary's, reunited with their wives and each other, and drinking rum until they died of liver failure. <laughs> I've, I mean, I've, I've been playing this movie. I want to direct this movie so bad mm, now. And I've been playing it out in my head. And the last shot is John Swan standing on the Madagascar beach. He's pulling in a fishing net. He's got, a, he's got his three wives in the house behind him. 
And he looks up, and he sees a ship sailing towards him. And he, just, he knows it. He smiles. And he cuts black. And then... You guys are going to get four minutes of our pirate theme song. Man, I love this story. So good. I had so much fun with this one. I know. You really, I mean, uh, this is the the thing about pirate entertainment because Mm -hmm. it's so fun to romanticize and it's so not Not that, but there is some fun to it. If you can kind of extrapolate the good parts from the, you know, all the murder and rape and theft, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it sounds like a blast. (laughs) (laughs) These guys are living free, sailing wherever they wanted, port Mm -hmm. to port, wives in every country, loving their mates, you know, just no rules, just right. No rules, (laughs) just right. Blooming onions all the time. Real Outback Steakhouse lifestyle. Mm. So, you know, for that, it's great. I love this story. It's so much fun. I want to see the very loosely interpreted movie mm-hmm. <laughs> of what this was like. And I, I would like Culliford and John to be lovers in that story. Oh, absolutely. Bisexual, gay, don't care. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they, I it's think they definitely had a very do. serious bond. Yeah. And uh, it's seems clear to me oh yeah they swan was just so lo- loyal to him for so long that i'm like they had they, they had something special how could they not i mean you spend that much time with somebody and these life and death situations you know and yeah. if you respect them and hell you know at least robert's probably a very handsome guy too certainly fit definitely fit i mean oh, weather as as handsome as a seaman gets you know right. after being out in the sun drinking nothing but John's like writing home like he even has all his own teeth. <laughs> Dear diary, I met a man today. He's got 16 of his own teeth. <laughs> he can read and write. He smells like shit, but so do we all. <laughs> he smells <laughs> less like shit than most pirates. <laughs> so that is Robert Culliford and John Swan. And we on this podcast are firmly on the side that they were totally sexual romantic partners. Sure. So you can think whatever you like. I got my own movie going on over here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just think it adds more fun to the story. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. one more thing they were doing that was a positive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In a, in a long list of negatives. <laughs> mm, true. True, true. Uh, I hope y'all enjoyed this and had as much fun as we did. Yeah. And were able to ignore the bad parts as easily as we were. <laughs> well, we um, didn't leave them out. <clears throat> no. No. It's worth noting. Thanks for tuning in. Y'all, yeah. please uh, let us know what you thought. As always, you can reach out to us at romance at iheartmedia.com. Yeah, or on the socials, I'm at Diana Might Boom on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm at Oh Great, It's Eli. Or you can get to the show itself at, at Ridic Romance. And we love to read your, your reviews on Apple Podcasts. Please do give us a rating over there and everything. It really, really helps a lot. So thanks so much to everyone who's already written in. So we awesome. love to read them. They're so awesome. Really do. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Yeah, we'll see you next time. So long, friends, it's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. 
This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes Ryan Blake. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.